Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card, UFC 274, going down at the Footprint Center in Phoenix, Arizona. The Footprint Center? Formerly the America West Arena, U.S. Airways Center, Talking Stick Resort Arena, and the Phoenix Suns Arena. Also known as the Purple Palace and the (laughs) Snake Pit. Yes. Well, I can see why the what drew the UFC to this venue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we love to have things that have seven thousand different names that no one can quite keep straight. This is the place for us. It's true. It's a very on brand for the UFC. Very much so. Yeah. So Footprint Center, Phoenix, Arizona, UFC two seventy four going down this weekend. And um yeah, kind of a banger card, you know. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. um, I actually quite like this, even though like there are a few fights on here that if they were on a different card, I'd be like, no, why yeah. this? Why yeah. now? But it's got that nice balanced diet feel that I like so much. I'm so happy to have some stupid freak show fights and some mm-hmm. moments of utter bleak depression and some prospects and some nobodies and all that. As long as they're mixed in with a bunch of fights that I I know both the fighters and I care and it means something. Yeah, exactly. Like that's always, all. yep. That, that is always the perfect balanced diet. I don't need every fight to be a thriller. I just want, you know, you, you give me Donald Cerrone, Joe Lozon, as long as it's not headlining a fight night card full of nobody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or if it's not like the, the these days, probably more likely like the co-main event and yeah. the only even arguably interesting fight on the card other than the main event. Yeah. You you give it you give me that fight when it's not in that position. I'm happy to see it. Like what the hell else are you going to do with Joe Lozon and Donald Cerrone if they want to keep fighting right now? Fully you know. Agree. And uh same thing with Shogun and OSP. I have n- <laughs> they tried to make that rematch a fight night headliner like they did 2 years ago. Oh. It was scheduled to uh, go down. Where was it? Oh, man. Uh, Man, they booked that so long ago, I can't even find it. But, yeah, they tried to make that rematch a while ago, and it was... Like I nobody I didn't you know and they were gonna make it like a, I think they were gonna make it a fight night headliner when they tried to do it again Lord. or something or something similar like another high profile fight. Here we go or, in in 2017. Yeah, so a little longer ago, they they tried to uh, book that rematch. Yeah, and I had no you know why would I want that? And it ended up being Saint Prue versus Okami. Which is also awful and also ended up being the headliner for that card. Yeah. But somehow with Jessica Andrade versus Claudia Gadelia as the co-main, which is, I'm sure we said at the time, an infinitely superior fight. Yeah. Not even close. 
Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so glad it's not a main event. I'm not. I'm still not really glad it's happening, but. But what are you going to um, do with these guys if they're going to? Yeah. Keep, like, Shogun's been. He 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 got to the very cusp of realizing that he's too old to do this anymore, two years ago, and then was like, "Nah, I'm gonna keep going." And so, like at that point, you might as well just fight OSP again. Has he fought Ed Herman yet? Can he fight him five times? Ed Herman's still a guy. <laughs> he is, in fact, still a guy. Yes. Actually, I guess he became more and more of a guy the longer his career went on. Yeah, no, I mean, you remember, remember Ed Herman used to be all smooth? Yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly he was like the most hirsute man you'd ever seen? <laughs> that was awesome. He really cragged up as time went on. <laughs> he just used to be this, like, kind of grapply, kind of brawly, like, MMA dude that nobody thought twice about who went over to Strike Force once and... Had a bad time. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly he just became everybody's stepdad. Usually we're talking about like Dave Herman for two minutes at the top of a vivisection because the card is bad. This time it's just because we're both idiots. Oh, you're talking about Dave Herman. I'm talking about Ed Herman. Ed Herman. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. No wonder you're so confused. Yeah, yeah. Ed Herman is, um, he is an extremely manly man, but he's not hairy. No. He's not hairy at all. I was a little confused. Okay, all right, all right. I'm so sorry. No, Dave Herman, yeah, that would that would be a whole more entertaining thing. And I do not think that Dave Herman is, in fact, still a man. I think he's <laughs> fully into wilderness Bigfoot that he was always intended to be. Good, good. Probably swinging from branches in Idaho somewhere. Herman and the Hendersons. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Is the best anyway. God. Let's talk about this actually very good card. <laughs> it's a really cool fight card to talk about. And topped off by an excellent lightweight title fight. Charles Oliveira, Justin Cagey. And um, yeah, I'd, I would be lying if I said I was at all confident in this fight. Mm. This is just the way top flight lightweight fights are. Who's yeah. going to win? Who knows? Are both guys going to get seriously hurt? Yes. Is it going to be violent and fast-paced and insane? Almost certainly. How could it be any other way? Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful division. Um, Charles Oliveira has had a beautiful title reign. I feel I'll just I'll I'll give the slight foreshadowing, if not quite a full spoiler, that this does feel very familiar to me. Mm. That I'm now. There's a champion who's like a maniac uh, or even an up and comer who's like a maniac. And I'm like, I keep questioning them and I keep questioning them. And then I'm starting to come around, but I still am not convinced. And they just keep winning. And then when I'm finally convinced, <laughs> that's when they lose. <laughs> yeah. So that's happened many times. I will foreshadow by saying I'm sort of leaning Charles Oliveira. But that is the strongest leaning I have anyway in this fight. And there are a lot of complications and things that could go wrong. And that is given, I think we have to both agree, that is given that he is absolutely going to get dropped in the first round of this fight. Oh, yeah. He's going to get dropped in the first round. He's in general. He's just going to fight the exact fight that Justin Cagey wants. Like, there is no question 
that Charles Oliveira will go out and he will fight the exact fight that Justin Cagey wants to fight. And yeah. he, he might turn that in. He might change that as time goes on. I mean, Charles Oliveira is great at punching his way, striking his way into the clinch where he is a master clinch takedown artist. And I think it very much bodes well for him that uh, one of the, the, the core fight finishing move that he got on Dustin Poirier was a duck under body lock to back mm-hmm. take standing mm-hmm. because that is one of the few things that Gagey in terms of wrestling is really open to. And it's what cost him against Khabib. It is what got him taken down one of the only times he'd ever been taken down before that by Eddie Alvarez mm. was both of those fighters were able to draw out his sprawl, which is super hard and really, he, you know, gets his hips down really fast and it allows him to get his back taken. Yeah. Um, st- even standing, it just allows somebody to get up around the side of him. Cause once you sprawl out like that, you're not, you can't really turn. You can't, yeah, I mean, that's that's a very interesting thing as well, because while we've said for a long time, Charles Oliveira is just a, a really strong wrestler in multiple ways. Honestly, he he can yeah. hit a really great shot, too. Yeah, uh, he's, he's a fan. Right. He's a phenomenal uh, clinch takedown artist as well. That's still a very thorny question. Like Justin Gaethje is one of the most insanely intense takedown defenders and scramblers in those first few seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he just does not accept position. Do you remember when when Michael Chandler got him down in the third round of their fight? I mean, he, he didn't even get him down. He just yeah, he sort of hit a takedown. He he locked his hands on a double, and sent Justin Gaethje flying through the air. And Gaethje did like a halfway to the ground mid air Granby roll, mm-hmm. which upset Chandler's balance so much. Even though Chandler was the one holding him, that Mike slammed his own face into the floor. And Gaethje slipped out and got on top of him and started beating him up. Yeah. He's a crazy scrambler. So it is. it, it seems very important to me that Oliveira doesn't even necessarily have to complete a takedown outright to get into a very good position. Those standing back takes, um, like, or just even getting standing rear waist cinches, you know, like he got to on Poirier. Mm-hmm. can be really, really dangerous. And you can either work very slowly for a takedown from there, or you might just climb onto the back. Or yeah. you might just hold a guy and just, you know, lean on him and throw him around a little bit for a while. You have options because it's a great position. Yeah, Oliver has always been excellent at standing back takes and at standing uh, body locks into takedowns and into advantageous grappling positions. It's one of the things... One of the reasons that he is such a fantastic wrestler is, you know, he's, he is a good, decent shot wrestler, but yeah, he is able to approach his wrestling game from so many angles, always with the eye towards creating advantageous grappling positions mm-hmm. that you you really have to think a lot more about the wrestling he's doing to you as he's doing it. It's not just like, oh, he's going to he's going to get in. And he's going to grab my hips and I'm going to hit the mat and I'm going to have to scoot out. Right. It's much more like he's going to get in on me and he's going to 
pick me up and dump me. And the moment I try to, to, to slip out, he will have his hooks in and he will have an arm around my neck. You know, it's very much all trigger the, the, the takedowns are all triggered into into grappling moves after them yeah and it'll it'll be interesting i mean because you know the thing with kg like you say he doesn't accept a position but he makes he takes risks when he does that. absolutely yeah it's all about that dynamic scramble it's all about just um just that that's what not accepting the position is about you're happy mm-hmm. to take a risk and dive into a potentially worse position or a dangerous transition as long as you're transitioning Mm-hmm. And you don't settle in, which can be great. Yeah. But there is also um, there is also a thing. I mean, I've often talked about this at um, as like a such an important part of the metagame at flyweight because it is the scrambliest division, mm-hmm. and so there it, there seems to be an even greater reward for people who can settle into dominant positions. Yeah, because everyone just assumes they're going to get to scramble out of everything, and then they can't, and they kind of panic and run out Uh of ideas. Phil also talked about this um, to me in, in reference to um, something John Jones said before the Gustafson rematch where he said, Gustafson's got great takedown defense. He's a great scrambler, but if you get past those first 10 seconds, you can kind of just sit on top of him for a long time. Uh And that's kind of what Gaethje looked like against Khabib. And in a lot of ways, this is very reminiscent for Justin Gaethje of the Khabib fight. Yeah. Except that we know that Charles Oliveira is going to get dropped. <laughs> there are some key differences. Yeah. Oliveira is not as durable as Khabib. Mm-mm. He's not as fast as Khabib. Um, and you can, like, it, he's going to put the same kind of pressure on you. He's going to do it with reach and with better offensive striking than Khabib. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to have other things to worry about despite those those uh, physical differences. But the, it, it does seem very important that, like, some of the shots Khabib forced out of Gaethje with the intense pressure he put on him, those those shots will drop Chucky Olives yeah. 100%. There's no way that Khabib, who just, like, walked in and ate an uppercut left hook both square on the chin and mm-hmm. didn't even go backwards. There's no way that Charles Oliveira can take those shots without at least his legs going away or more likely just going straight down. Yeah. Um, but so far nobody's, I mean, arguably nobody has ever KO'd Charles Oliveira. Yeah. The, the only one that, that is arguable is I think that I can recall is the Cub Swanson one, which has always looked a little suspicious to me. I always sort of chalked that one under the category of, uh, Charles Oliveira gets hurt and then kind of doesn't want to fight anymore. Yeah. Because it doesn't look like the typical body language of somebody who's, uh, you know, like squirming around on instinct. It looks like someone who is consciously deciding, you know, maybe semi-consciously, but still consciously deciding to go down and stop. Yeah. And th- I mean, there's a reason that Oliveira got that reputation. Sure. It that- happened notably plenty of other times. Yeah. He just, he seemed like a fighter who, if things got hard enough, he would just kind of stop. Yeah. Um, he's just as fragile as he was then. Mm-hmm. No more fragile, as far as I can tell. But uh, he just got over that. You know, he just doesn't roll over when he gets hurt now. And I think a big part of that um, has been the fact that most people just don't want to tangle with him on the ground. Yeah. 
So he can go down to his guard and people at best, which Gaethje probably will, are going to stand over him and try to kick his legs. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to jump into his guard, which isn't yeah. necessarily like a thing that has to be true for everyone. Paul Felder shredded Charles Oliveira from his guard. Mm-hmm. Anthony Pettis beat him in his guard. Um, it's certainly possible, but it doesn't seem like a Justin Gagey kind of thing. No. And so I think it'll it'll work for Oliveira here if he doesn't get one shot KO'd, which could happen at any time, given how often he gets hurt. But if, if it's the same as the previous knockdowns, he'll probably get the usual chances to recover and go right back to his game. Yeah. And if that happens, we have to... Um, I think we have to ask... How does uh, who who has an advantage in attrition in this fight because it's a five rounder? I think Justin Gaethje, unlike Michael Chandler, is not just going to fade out of a fight automatically. Yeah, I, I think honestly that Gaethje probably I I would still think that he has the advantage of attrition. Well, okay, the, the problem for Gaethje is going to be much like it was against Khabib that. He it doesn't really matter if he would have the advantage just purely in a brawl for cardio. Mm-hmm. He is more likely to be in positions where he is having to work harder than Charles Oliveira. Yes. So if and he does gas, let's be clear. Gaethje absolutely yeah. gasses. He does it in most three round or more fights. Yeah. But he he just is okay with it and he recovers yeah. at the start of each round. Much mm-hmm. as uh his uh, teammate in the co-main event kind of seems to do. Yep. So I, I have faith that Gagey will, you know, get, if this is five rounds, I have faith that he will be in it fighting hard for five rounds. But if he just starts, he if he starts getting taken down in a way that he cannot defend, they have Oliver repeatedly finds avenues to slow him down. Mm-hmm. Then it won't matter. Well, we we you you can have that confidence, but we know that body work is tremendously effective against Justin Gaethje. Mm. Eddie Alvarez had great success with the body work. Yeah, arguably was the thing that allowed him to beat Gaethje late. Dustin Poirier had success with the body work. Michael Chandler started too late, but every time he wanted to go to the body, he was able to land clean hard shots. Um, and Charles Oliveira is a pretty good body striker. Front kicks, knees. Um, he will throw left hooks and straight rights and uppercuts to the body as well, but largely they come from the kicks and the knees. Yeah. And I'm the question I have is how do you balance that against? Well, there's kind of two questions, which I don't know the answer to. How do you balance that against Gaethje's main attritive weapon if he's going to try to break Oliveira down in return, which are the low kicks? Yeah. And how good is Charles Oliveira actually at dealing with low kicks? <laughs> yeah, I mean... And he looks he, like he's ready to check them at all times, but uh, people don't tend to get that many off because he just doesn't let up. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't... I don't know that there's a... Uh, I mean, Charles Oliveira is not really good with any strikes coming his way. Right. Mostly that's my, just that's my feeling as well. Yeah. Mostly just because he can't see him. The man is like Roxanne Modafferi blind out there. 
Well, so is Justin Gaethje, right? I think Gaethje actually got eye surgery. Oh, he got LASIK. Okay. He, he got corrective surgery. So Gagey is not blind out there. But, yeah, I mean, defensively, that's always kind of been the thing with Oliver, and that's why he get, we know he's going to get dropped. Mm-hmm. That's why we know he's going to get hurt in this fight. It's because he's just – his defense is still wide open. You know, the reason that Michael Chandler and Dustin Poirier were able to just go out and have a huge amount of success with him – because if you put Oliver on the back foot and you throw punches at him, or if you throw when he's walking in, he will very likely get hit. Mm-hmm. And the defense, the best defense Oliver has, and it's a very good one, is a really good offense. And you know you can kind of see the revolution in who Oliver was and how he wins as the advancing. Uh, guessing game that he has started to be able to force opponents to play more and more and more where he's walking in you're like okay i don't know if he's going to kick my the outside of my leg i don't know if he's going to kick the inside of my leg i don't know if he's going to knee me in the stomach i don't know if he's going to throw a jab i don't know if he's going to throw a left hook i don't know if he's going to throw an uppercut and it all you know he has this very unfazed i almost said clear-eyed but obviously that's not (laughs) the case um you know, he just has this very unfazed, straightforward, almost squared up aspect to his striking. Yeah. Where he knows he's not telling what he's going to do. And so and he, he knows that he's comfortable walking for he knows that he's ready for to be taken down or whatever else there might, you might try to do. And so he's just going to walk in on you and force you to have to pick the shot that's going to hit you. Mm -hmm. And it becomes incredibly attractive when he gets it his own way. But, you know, when the momentum, when, when fighters really start to guess about the momentum, when they start to think about what they're about to be hit with, when he hits them with something and they back off for a second, like, Oh, that kind of stung. Then it becomes really dangerous. But up until that point, he is really just walking straight in on people still yep and there to be hit really hard it's basically the same dude he was when but way back when he fought like frankie edgar mm-hmm. but much much more potent with the variety of offense that he mm-hmm. fires off now yep more potent just better technical striker everywhere yep more confident and like um, i say if he gets a little momentum if you get to the point where you start to think about what he's doing you're not pulling the trigger when he's walking in. Yeah. Then things really start to flow for him. Then he becomes a more he becomes a better defensive fighter. Mm-hmm. He becomes a better, you know, everything works better. He becomes a more powerful striker. The moment you you take your foot off the gas and think, "Oh man, I got to think about what I'm doing here with this guy." Then you know, we we talked about it like uh it's like with Marlon Vera. It's the same kind of thing where he makes you if he if he make if Marlon Vera makes you think for a minute about what he's gonna do next, you are in for a really bad night about with Marlon Vera. Yeah. But Justin Gagey doesn't think. <laughs> at least not that <laughs> I, I know. I think he's gonna think in very basic terms that will be fruitful for him because yeah. Charles Oliveira loves walking into shots. Justin Gagey, especially this modern Justin Gagey, loves walking people onto shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's going to be way more, less interested in what's coming back 
purely and more interested in, is he stepping in right now? Yeah. Because if he is, I got about two or three punches that he's really going to hate. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that are really hard and accurate and, and, uh, and just honestly – the perfect balance of recklessly and technically thrown these days. Yeah, and you could you could think about it really potentially a lot like if if this stays standing, if Charles Oliveira doesn't have an easy time taking KG down, you could think about this a lot like the dynamics of the Tony Ferguson fight, where you know you have Ferguson who's creative, who creates a lot of chaos, who gets people thinking about what he's going to do and just piles on offense when they are. And you had Gagey in there who was just like, I'm just going to hit you really hard every yeah. single time. And I'm not going to think about it. I mean, I think Oliveira has some things that Tony doesn't and certainly didn't have in that fight. I mean, A, I think he's just a better wrestler. Yeah. Better Probably. takedown artist. Mm-hmm better clinch fighter, even if he doesn't get a takedown outright, as we said before. Um, I think these days, compared to that Tony Ferguson especially, he's got a better jab, which, by the way, yeah. in addition to body shots, are another thing we know can really trouble Gaethje. Mm -hmm. Michael Chandler sort of won the first round of that fight mostly off his jab. Um, you know, you think of huge, disgusting right hands, but, like, yeah, Gaethje just ate jabs. He's He's got this, like, big... Uh, oh, I'm. You can tell right now. I'm seriously loading up a counter defense, which works well against um, the big, seriously loaded up offense. Yeah. When you overthrow a Justin Gaethje, he's gonna duck and come back with a life changer. Yeah. But uh, if you just poke him, <laughs> you you could touch his face a lot instead mm -hmm. of lots of other things. Um. And I also think he's. Is he is he a better pressure fighter than Tony Ferguson? I don't know. I don't know the, the about that. Is, but that Tony Ferguson was not the prime Tony Ferguson, though. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Might have that fight might have gone the same way five years earlier. Um, I I think it would have been a little different. I'm not saying I don't I don't think um, Gaethje wouldn't have always been a real a rough matchup for Tony. Yeah, because I think he probably would have. But I don't know. I think you can track a pretty clear decline, especially, I mean, we're going to be talking about him later. Yeah. I think you can track a pretty clear decline right about the time, basically the minute the RDA fight ended. Yeah. You that kind of see a Tony Ferguson who's just like having a harder and harder time of it each time out. Yeah. I, I, the big, I mean, one of the big things with Ferguson that I think really set him up badly and that uh, Oliver doesn't have and doesn't do is that there's a there's a level of creative creativity to Tony Ferguson's game that is constantly working against him. Sure. And you know, he 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 just has like these horrible habits of getting side of of starting square as he tries yeah. to do something creative and yeah. Uh you know, th there's like a, there's almost a little bit of like Michelle Watterson to Tony Ferguson worse honestly like I, I think that's why tony ferguson's decline does look so stark now in hindsight because yeah. his 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 game is really so inefficient and involves putting himself in so many bad positions yeah that you start to realize just how much it probably relied on the like you know the energy and athleticism of a young man mm -hmm. 
and also the durability of a young man. Yeah. Uh, Olivera's, um, yeah, like not creative in a good way in that respect. Yeah. He, he's kind of kind of stay he's over still there to be hit, but he's doing it with like a very, you know, like I say, the, the thing with Olivera is as he's approaching you, kind of all his offense looks the same. You have to figure out as he's moving forward, you have to take a guess and just be like, is he about to jab me or is he about to kick me? Or is he about to knee me in the body? Yeah. And I don't re I'm not going to know until the strike is already on its way. And I'll have to make that read in the instant, in the, that single moment. And it, uh, you know, it's tough to do, but like, like I say, it's also something that Gagey may just be uninterested in. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think Oliver is yeah. going to get to pressure. Mm hmm. Gaethje these days is usually pretty happy to let over-aggressive fighters be over-aggressive and, and punish them for it. I think he is going to pay for it, Chucky Olives. Yeah. Um, but I think the longer that goes on and he gets a read on the, you know, frankly, like well-thrown and well-switched up, but the, let's be honest, four strikes that Justin Gaethje throws. <laughs> what is it? It's occasional jab. It's overhand right, uppercut, low kick, left hook. And the left hook usually only comes after the other ones. <laughs> so it's four initiating strikes and then a fifth one that's a cherry on top. Yeah. Um, if he can get any kind of read on those and maintain pressure, there's a lot in his game to trouble Justin Gaethje. There's the body yep. work, there's the jab, there are uppercuts and knees, which are very powerful. Um, and work really, really well against a guy who covers up and hunches down. And there is the constant, constant threat of the takedown. Yeah. Which also, by the way, might be the best possible response, even if he doesn't have any defense at all, to Justin Gaethje's low kicks. Mm -hmm. If he can catch a foot and just drive through, and he doesn't have to get a clean takedown, as you said, if Gaethje's going to give us back immediately. Yep. So I think it's going to be horribly messy and difficult, but I think this Charles Oliveira has just accepted that that's how his fights go. And I don't think he's going to let up. And so I kind of think he, it might start horribly as his fights tend to do get slightly better and possibly end suddenly with a submission later. Could be. I'm, I'm picking Charles Oliveira. Yeah, man. A big part of me just wants to just be like, nah, Gage, he's going to finish him in the first round. Sure. Or, it's going to happen one of these days. Yeah, it has to. Right. I, you know what? We've talked about it. We've gone all the way through it. I, I do agree. I think that in general, I think Oliver is going to have more chances to win this fight. I think is probably the best way I can say it. Yeah. Um, just the Gagey will create opportunities. He will have singular moments to win, but over multiple rounds, Charles Oliveira probably has more paths to victory. More things he can do right that Gagey might struggle with. Whereas Gagey just has, yeah, I mean, they're, they're great tools, but there are a couple of tools that. Yeah. And there's a make. lot of, there's a lot of um, underappreciated subtlety to Justin Gaethje's game. Yeah. Gaethje is, uh, never was a complete blockhead fighter. I no, know that's the, no. that's the fun way to think about him. But even today, particularly, I mean, since that Tony Ferguson fight, he's, he's, a, he's a pretty calculating fighter. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of good sort of principles behind what he does, but yeah. Yeah. All That's right. Four punches. I'm going to take Justin Cagey. I'm, I I know that it's not the smart pick, but it is just, it does feel like something in the air where Charles Oliver has got everything clicking and he's gone on this remarkable run and he's done all these good things. And now he's just going to lose his belt to. Oh, I don't think it's just, it's even not a smart pick. Yeah. Coin flip, man. Yeah. I'm going to take Gagey. I just, I have seen Oliveira get hurt so many times early in fights lately. And it, it just, I, I just don't feel like it can keep happening every time against a succession of huge punchers. Well, who's left if he beats Justin Gagey? <laughs> he might have got through all the worst punchers in the true. division. It's true. Chandler, Poirier, and Gaethje. After that, it's just a bunch of scrubs. <laughs> like, yeah, they, they, they'll they have to find a way to pitch Conor McGregor at him. Oh, man. That'll be fun. I'd love to see him pressure Conor McGregor. Yeah, right. He deserves, he deserves that fight, and I would pick him to win it. Yep. All right. Odds on the bout. Where is the bout? They hit it. Um, best fight odds. Okay. Charles Oliver, Justin Cagey. It's way down buried in another car on on future events. Naturally. Oliveira is the favorite. He opened at minus 205, jumped up to minus 170, currently over minus 173. Gagey opened at plus 175, dropped down to plus 145, currently sitting at plus 145. Can't really argue with that. Yeah. That brings us to our co-main event, Women's Strawweight title bout. Rose Namajunas, Carla Esparza. Two. And... Hmm? Carla, Rose Namajunas, Carla Esparza, two. Two. Yes, two. Don't forget, a rematch nearly eight years in the making. Yep. I am so glad that Dana White's hissy fit over Carla Esparza sitting on the sidelines and waiting for her title shot that she earned was all for naught and sound and fury signifying nothing kind of thing. Was he throwing a hissy fit? I oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, that was, yeah, I don't know if you've seen the quote floated around for a couple months where it's like, you don't wait for fights. Was like Dana White's big anti Carla Esparza rant. Uh huh. And they were like, we've got another plan for Rose Namajunas. And everybody looked at the division, uh-huh. looked around, and were like, what is it? Because <laughs> the only title challenger ready right now is Marina Rodriguez, who Carlos Barza just beat. Uh huh. And he didn't have another plan. There was she no has, other plan. She's on a five five streak. Yeah. And she's, she's got a win over the champ. Yep. Come on. Just. It's easy. It, it was an easy it was an easy fight to sell. It was like obvious and I know Carlos Barza is not everybody's choice idea of a title contender, but it's an easy fight to 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 build drama around and to sell up and to promote. Should be. I mean should it should be. be. Yeah. <laughs> um and then, you know, you actually get to thinking about it, and there is that kind of gut reaction that's like, oh well, Rose Namajunas is gonna walk through Esparza. Cause she just kind of, you know, she it is a great five fight winning streak. She is absolutely has positioned herself to be the top contender, but she has not looked like one of the dominant forces in the division for the past mm-hmm. eight years. She's and looked it, like a scrappy win some, lose some, doesn't ever seem to go away kind of fighter. 
And if you go back those eight years and look at that Rose Namajunas, so many of the things that are now essential to her game were just not there. Yeah. She's a she's a very different fighter. The big question is, uh, as it often is with these long-term rematches, how different in the ways that really matter? Yes, because it's really easy to go then and turn around and watch Rose Namajunas versus Weili Zhang uh-huh. and see her get taken down in every single round except the last one. Mm-hmm. And think, sure, Weili Zhang is bigger. She's stronger. But she's not a better technical wrestler than Carla Esparza. And she's not a better grappler than Carla Esparza. And she's not a better grappler than Carla Esparza. Esparza's so pretty fearsome on the ground, like one, yeah. even after she gets you take, uh, takes you down. And so if Rose Namajunas gets taken down by Carla Esparza because she is a better technical wrestler than somebody like Weili Zhang... And there's still Rose. I mean, she has she has that physicality to her that we've talked about a bit where it's just like she seems because she's pretty, you know, like I don't even know if she's that tall for the division, but she's certainly taller than Carla. Yeah, she at five, five. She seems like a she should be like a pretty physical force out there. She hits hard. She's got some good snap on her strikes and all that. But there is sort of there is a lacking inside physicality to Rose Nami Yunus. Yeah, it's, it's like a just, it's like a lack of core strength. Yeah. There's a lack of core strength where sometimes I, I I you know for a while I was kind of thinking it's like just kind of a woman's thing. But there's a lot of there are a lot of tall ropey dudes who have the same problem. Where sure. yeah. you put in like you put them in there with like a little muscle plug that wants to wrestle and suddenly in inside in the tie up where these huge fighters you expect them to be bigger and stronger they just can't physically compete there. Mm-hmm. And there's some of that with Rose. We've, you know, we certainly saw it with Jessica Andrade. Um, not that Carlos Barza is Jessica Andrade, but just there's, there may not be enough inherent physicality to her game to stop a really good, well-executed takedown. Mm-hmm. And that makes this fight really hard to call. Because... It is like if Carlos Barza is just going to get on top of Rose Namajunas over and over again, it's not like we've never seen Rose fade over rounds or lose confidence. Yeah, and I do think we've seen um, recent fights, Weili Zhang rematch, Andrade rematch, uh, the the Jacek rematch. Yeah. We've certainly seen that, um, like Charles Oliveira, I think she's just she's been through it enough now. Yeah. That she doesn't freak out or break quite as easily. Yes. But it's going to be a different kind of experience if she is losing this fight in any early stage. Mhm. Much much more taxing, much more oh this person just keeps advancing position on me, they keep taking me down, they're punching me while they're doing it. And there is also the psychological factor to consider. That Rose knows, as we know, that Carla Esparza beat her in her first title shot. Yeah. Now, you know, again. Uh, well, actually, has Rose ever won a rematch where she lost the first fight? Has she had any? I don't think so. Oh, Andrade. Andrade. Wait, yeah, yeah, Andrade. Yeah, there we go. Of course. We're missing the big obvious one. The obvious one. Uh, and Tisha Torres, too. So, well, there twice. You go. So, you know, it's something. It's, it's, it's something not concrete. Yeah. 
the the thing is that the, the the reason I think I'm still gonna pick with my Nami unit stick with my Nami Unis gut pick, even though I watching the test, just like I can see the clear path for a Carlos Barza win here. Absolutely. Is that one of the big deciding factors of Nami Yunus's first fight with Esparza was Nami Yunus's unchecked aggression. Yeah. And that's something that is not in her game anymore. Like she just flung herself at Carla Esparza. Oh, yeah. For two whole rounds without hesitation. And absolutely gassed out and broke herself. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, every time Carlos Barza took her down in that fight, she scrambled right back up. Mm-hmm. Carlos Barza couldn't actually hold her down. And when it was on the feet and they were striking, Nami Yunus also just constantly unloaded on Esparza. Mm-hmm. It was not a close competitive striking match. But she ran herself into the ground in that fight. And as far as it didn't go away. And there's room for that to happen again, but Nami Yunus isn't, I don't think, that fighter anymore. No. So if as far as it gets, even if she gets a takedown every round, if if Nami Yunus can just scramble back to her feet, I think there's a lot more chance that she can stay in the fight and win rounds nonetheless, just on the landing better offense. So I'm gonna take Rose Nami Yunus here, but I, you know, what just watching, just thinking about the matchup and watching the footage and watching Rose get taken down by Wei Zhang, it's not hard to see where the path for Carlos Barza to win this fight is. It's closer than you would think. That's yeah. the interesting thing about this fight is the stuff that happened in the first fight, even if just to a degree, it'll probably happen again. Yeah. Some of it. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the smart pick. I'm going to end up picking Esparza mainly because it's funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you're betting on this fight, you know, now I'm, you know, there is a case here. Again, yeah. if you love a dicey underdog bet, you know, go for it. It's uh, yeah. it's not impossible, but. Um, Esparza, she's been TKO'd a couple times, mm-hmm. but not easy. It's not Almost easy to... all of her fights are split decisions. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like 50% of her fights are splits or majority decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, win or lose. Yeah. Um, so I will say this, and I will, this will add weight to the Rose pick, which is why if I was not just uh, being a troll, I would pick her. Um, it's, not, it's not just that Rose doesn't seem to gas anymore. She seems to get a, a fresh wind at the start of each round. Yeah. Esparza does gas now. Yeah, that's true. She seems to gas in every fight. She's like a little tiny Glacian Tebow. <laughs> and uh, as Phil, I think, correctly pointed out, whereas Tebow gassed because he cut 800 pounds to make lightweight uh, in the days when not, you know, everyone didn't do that. Um, Esparza probably gasses because everyone's stronger than her. Yeah. And she has to just, I mean, she's got really great wrestling and grappling technique, but everyone is just able to just like bench press her and, and fling her around. She has to work really hard Yep. to maintain top position. Now that 
she does gas. If she gasses, Rose is going to knock her out. That's my pick. Yeah. If if Carlos Esparza gasses and, and she gets into territory like she did in the third round against Grasso, she's getting slept. Yeah. Um. But I do wonder if, again, Rose is just not a very physical fighter. Nope. She she can crack. She's got great form and power in her hands for sure. But she doesn't ever seem to make anyone work super duper hard on the ground um, unless she's the one scrambling all over the top of them. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder if Esparza's, if that is the cause of Esparza gassing, if she might show a shockingly good gas tank in this fight. Could uh, happen. Provided she gets some good top control time. Um, if Rose does scramble insanely to get out, then it's possible she might tie her out again as she did in the first fight and kind of put herself on equal footing. Yeah. Um, because if you notice, what she did against Wei Li Zhang was almost like a, a female strawweight Derek Lewis game at points. Mm-hmm. Where she really just seemed like mostly interested in preserving herself for the later rounds of the fight. Yeah. She was quite inactive most of the time they went to the ground. And even in the late rounds, she was still the one getting taken down a lot of the time. <clears throat> um, and then she would she realized that she, would, she was at a point where she could expend some energy and scramble and get on top. Yeah. Uh, which, again, is also not as easy to do against Esparza. Maybe you get back to your feet, getting on top of her, getting a great position on the ground, not easy. No. Nope. So, um, again, I do wonder if Esparza will gas the way that she has been lately against Rose in particular. I wonder what approach Rose will take if Esparza does get early takedown uh, success against her. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that is a very plausible route to victory for Carla Esparza. With the understanding, again, that she's going to be eating even more damage on the feet yeah. than she did the first time. In every moment that she's not taking Rose down, Rose is just a vastly better striker and boxer than she was then. And uh, if Esparza gets tired and Rose catches another wind, Esparza is getting hurt badly. Yep. So, Rose is a smart pick, but Esparza is not as stupid a pick as it as you might think at first. Nope, and uh, odds reflect that, honestly. Uh, Namiunas opened at minus 220, jumped up to minus 151, is currently back down at minus 211. Carla Esparza opened at plus 185, dropped down to plus 131, is currently back up at plus 171. All right. Hey, good so, good to hear. Esparza's yeah. not getting disrespected by the betters. Nope. Everyone always has a, you know, they have some beef with Esparza. Yeah. From like People really being... got on her for that time that she ordered like a really expensive ice cream sundae. <laughs> yeah, who cares? Yeah. I like Esparza. I like her fights. She might be a grinder, but she's always entertaining. She's gritty as hell. She walks out to Metallica's Harvester of Sorrow, or at least she used to. I think they stopped letting her do that. Ah. It was one of the coolest walkout songs. Come on. Yeah. It would be yeah. awesome and very funny if she won here. It would be. It would. It would be very much... <laughs> the uh, Juliana Pena beating Amanda Nunes. Now, hold on. That's disrespectful. <laughs> yeah. Esparza is so much better than Juliana Pena. Well, okay. It, but nonetheless, it, it would be the kind of victory where suddenly everybody in the division is like, oh, wait. Yeah. I can win the title tomorrow if I can lobby for a title shot. Yeah. You know? I think it would be like if, like at, at middleweight, if uh, if what's his name, uh, Brazilian left hook man. <laughs> oh, come on, he beat he beat Adesanya. This is what I'm going for. 
Oh, Pereira. Pereira, Alex Pereira. If he if he somehow gets his way to a middleweight title shot, and then once again just gets absolutely pushed around and destroyed for three and a half rounds, and then knocks it out, it's yeah. it's that kind of result. Yeah, for just the same left. fight a decade later. <laughs> Brazilian left hook man, <laughs> come on. Okay. How do, you, how, how do you not? I said middleweight. <laughs> where's that? Where's that magical connection of ours, Zane? You should have gotten that instantly. Want a divorce? <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same. All right. Uh, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Michael Chandler, Tony Ferguson. And I have, you know what? This is another fight where, like, there is an easy, obvious read. And then there is opportunity for concern. Just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just because... The reality is that Tony Ferguson has actually only been TKO'd once in his career. And it came in the fifth round as a mercy stoppage against Justin Gagey. Mm-hmm. He may be getting hurt more than he used to be, but he is not yet getting knocked out more than he used to be. Mm-hmm. And Michael Chandler is a guy who starts really strong and can fade mm-hmm. even in the three round fight. There is an opportunity for Tony Ferguson to just get whomped on and then battle his way back into making this competitive. Tony Ferguson can find that uppercut. He dropped Gaethje with mm-hmm. that'll work against yeah. Chandler. We know Gaethje used it against Chandler. Yep. There is a big opportunity here. The problem Ferguson is, and this is true in the Darius fight. It was true in the Oliveira fight, although to a lesser degree. And it's just been more and more the case is that these days he's just getting hurt to the point that he can't fight his way. He can't create momentum. Yeah. And that seems insanely likely against Michael Chandler. Yeah. Because Michael Chandler hurts people really badly, even if he doesn't knock them out. Yeah. And Chandler is still lightning fast. Yeah. In addition to hugely powerful, he's aggressive. Um, If if there was any takeaway really from that Gagey fight, he's doing a lot better managing himself over multiple rounds. You know, he didn't actually really just fade out of that fight so much as Gagey just kind of fought, solved his problem because the Michael yeah. Chandler striking game is a pretty simple one. Yeah. And even then he, he did, he did make a series of, you know, pretty simple and straightforward, but uh, he made some adjustments, Michael mm-hmm. Chandler later in the fight. They, they didn't necessarily stick. Gaethje answered them and convinced him to spend the last minute just sort of showboating and doing nothing, but he tried, you know, and, yeah. and, and made a seriously uh, credible effort down the stretch. Yeah. And I just think, given three rounds against Ferguson, if Chandler does that, yeah, just makes credible effort, he will probably have already won two rounds pretty handily. Well, yeah, there's also the fact that Tony Ferguson is just absolutely shot. Like, yeah, we don't even have to get too much into the specifics of how. Like, it's not this is this is a thing where oh, these these guys who are beating him are good. It's it's not the point. Forget the record. Watch the fights. Yeah. Nothing good happens for Tony Ferguson. Nothing. Yeah. He's getting 
absolutely just smeared across the canvas. And I, and I said this earlier, you can look back from the RDA fight, which I think was the true last hurrah and the peak of Tony Ferguson's career, his best performance ever. Mm-hmm. Um, which really should have won him a title, you know, something, yeah. a fight like that guy deserved to be a champion. And then immediately after that, every fight is really, he's kind of scraping through, even against mm-hmm. guys that should be completely outmatched. Yeah. Uh, like that Pettis, Donald Cerrone yeah. win does not, has not aged well. No. Cerrone was himself right on the end of the, the, the what looks like the final decline of his career, mm-hmm. uh, right on the cusp of that. And it was a brutal back and forth, bloody fight. Uh, yeah. Just really uncomfortable for both guys. And then he has one moment against Justin Gaethje, albeit a good one, but otherwise the fight just gets worse and worse and worse. Zero moments against Oliveira, zero moments against Dariush. He he's he doesn't have it anymore. And I think part of it is the durability, as you said. He just gets hurt. I think confidence is connected to that. Tony Ferguson probably still believes himself to be an insanely confident man. But you can see him questioning himself when he does get hurt now in a way that he never used to, where it will kind of just shut him out of the fight. He'll be playing catch up the rest of the time. And the other thing which we mentioned earlier is that Tony Ferguson's style is so inefficient and weird. Um, He does all these things that you're not supposed to do. And you he's the kind of guy where you don't find out why you're not supposed to do things that way until you get too old for it to work anymore. And then suddenly every move you make is like a critical error. Mm-hmm. You just, like you said, like just like standing like you're on a surfboard, like I'm going to go side on and edge into the pocket and somebody just hits you with a right hand. Yeah. Because you're not in a position to do anything and you can't like Granby roll your way into a 720 spinning elbow attack out of it anymore because mm-hmm. you got old. You're 38 years old. Um, and you've taken a ton of damage. So, yeah, I just, there's absolutely zero reason to pick Tony Ferguson here. And I honestly don't, I wish they hadn't made this fight. I mean. Well, there's one reason to pick Tony Ferguson right now. What's actually, that? is that apparently at the uh, press conference for this event, he just went up on the mic and called Dana White a drug dealer who uh, is holding everybody back. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's cool, I guess. It's a reason to root for him. Tony Ferguson should become a, a crackpot MMA journalist. There you go. He could be our Alex Jones. <laughs> you know, he could be our like insane conspiracy peddling MMA journalist. We need one of those. Uh, we, yeah, we don't. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> come on. Come on. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it is very difficult to pick Tony Ferguson in this fight just because. Yeah, the wheels have kind of fallen off his style, and unfortunately for him, they did. They, they've fallen off at a point where it still just makes sense for him to be getting big fights because he had so much success for so long. Yeah, but no, it doesn't. Again, I know. Watch the fights. I know. This is not a man who's competing. Yeah, this is not a man who you look at those and it's like, oh, this guy's no longer ranked. Yeah, Phil suggested. Ferguson versus Pimblet, and that sounds perfect. Do something like that if he's got to keep fighting. Yeah, I, w- I would probably have gone with like Carlos Diego Fajera, some something like that. You know, 
a fight a fighter who is reckless and aggressive yeah. himself, but like he'll just out grapple Tony Ferguson. It's true. It's very likely. Okay, well, odds on the fight. Ferguson is a reasonably sizable underdog. Opened at plus one thirty-five, jumped up to plus two sixty-nine. Currently up at plus two ninety-nine. Michael Chandler opened at minus one fifty-five, dropped down to minus three hundred nine. Currently at minus three ninety-three. So, not surprised by the that spread on that fight. All right, that brings us to a light heavyweight bout: Shogun Hua, Ovin St. Pru, and um, I'm Finally. just going to pick. Hmm? Finally. Finally. Finally, the people's main event. Oh. Um, I'm just going to pick OSP. Uh-huh. He is, unfortunately, between the two of them, OSP has become only more gun-shy lately. Um, partially, that may just be because he's up at heavyweight, but back down, at, or he was up at heavyweight, and that was a terrible idea for him. But uh, he, even against Jam- uh, Jamal Hill, he just... Didn't you know he's always been a guy who kind of will just let you beat him up until he has a few big moments of success that he can walk walk you on to. But it's becoming more and more just let you beat him up. And the moments of success are fewer and further between. Yeah. But Shogun is also like at this point in his career his own success just leads him to exhaustion. Yeah. Everything leads Shogun to getting tired or getting hurt, whether he's winning or not. Yeah. And he's 800 years old. Yeah. He's, I mean, literally this fight got made uh, in 2017, as you said, this rematch. Yeah. And uh, guess why it was canceled according to topology. Why? Who a uh, knee injury. Yeah. Which has been the story of his career ever since that 2011 yep. Pride Grand Prix win. Uh, I mean, yeah. So I, I don't know. This is the, the weird thing here is that there is there is a definite feeling that somehow so just sheer determination uh, or lack of anything better to do. Shogun may have waited out OSP's prime. <laughs> so yeah. That, there is a chance he beats him here. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's the much more active, much more structured boxer at this point in his career. Shogun yeah. has spent a lot of time investing in becoming a pretty decent puncher by MMA standards. He's just lost, you know, three or four or five years, three or four years ago. He still had a little speed to make that kind of a scary proposition for some people. Yeah. And as of like that, his last fight, which even now was a couple of years ago against Paul Craig a year and a half ago against Paul Craig, that speed was just gone as well. So if I was trying to be thematic here though, I might point out that I just spent a lot of time talking about how Tony Ferguson's game is a young man's game and doesn't work because he's not a young man. Yeah. And Shogun Hua has developed an old man's game Mm -hmm. and now both he and his opponent are old men. Yeah. And OSP's is a young man's game for sure. Oh, yeah. No there's problem. no structure. There's no process. It's I'm big and strong and fast, and I hit hard, and I can take whatever you dish out. Yep. That's the OSP game in a nutshell. 
So if I was trying to be all thematic, I might say, you know what? I'm going to pick Shogun here because I think he may have somehow just waited OSP out to the point where his game just is certainly going to start stop functioning even half as well as it used to, whereas Shogun's game in the right circumstances can obviously still kind of work. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not going to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pick OSP. <laughs> I'm going to assume he's more durable still. Um. And I'm going to assume that he still probably has a shade of athleticism that Hua doesn't. Yeah. And uh, and I have still seen, at least somewhat recently, one of those classic OSP fights where he gets beaten up and then just lands the good shot. And knowing mm-hmm. that, as you said, Shogun just gets tired really, really easily now, I'm going to pick that. Yeah. Shogun is at a place where... and. You know, he's strung together wins lately. It's not like it's impossible for him to still get wins, but he is in a place where the first strike that lands on against him in every fight always seems to hurt him. Absolutely. Whether it's a jab, anything. Yeah. And then he kind of has to fight hurt the rest of the fight and claw his way back. And when, when, you, when a fighter gets to that point, it's really tough for me to pick them, even if they are capable. He's capable of winning this fight. Yeah. You know, but I'm I'm just not gonna side. I'm not gonna side on to bank on that side of things. And then there's there's also to mention the fact that he usually out wrestles people these days, mm-hmm. and he's not gonna be able to do that either. Probably not. OSP opened at minus one sixty, dropped to minus two fifty. It's currently minus two forty eight. Shogun, who opened at plus one forty, jumped up to plus two ten. Is currently plus one ninety eight. That's fine. All right, that brings us to a lightweight battle. Donald Cerrone, Joe Lozon, and um, this is weird because any point I think in the past decade, I would automatically pick Donald Cerrone to win this fight. Same. I am not entirely sure that that is still the case. Yeah. Just like Joe Lozon has become more prone to the kinds of losses he was always prone to. Mm -hmm. But he showed, you know, even in the Gritzmacher and the Pierce fight, he still showed that in his moment, he's also still very capable of all the things that brought him success. Mm -hmm. He can still come out after people hit really hard, push them really hard and find opportunities for submissions or a knockout. It is still there in his game. Donald Cerrone has never been a fast starter. He's always been a a fighter who builds momentum as he goes. He Mm -hmm. learns what his opponents are trying to do. He starts getting comfortable with the timing and the range. He starts to connect things in chains off of counters. And he has to find his way into a fight. And as he's gotten older now, he's increasingly incapable of creating that momentum. Mm Mm-hmm. And that makes this a really weird fight because you have one of MMA's like hottest fast starters who is less durable and more prone to gassing than ever against one of MMA's most notorious and notable comeback fighters who 
is just not very able to come back anymore. First of all, I agree. Joe Lozon is the hottest fast starter. Oh, yeah. Hot. Just smoke just show. Smoking. Yeah. Put put that man in Playgirl. Does Playgirl still exist? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Um, yeah, and the reason I would have picked Donald Cerrone is that, like, yeah, Joe, uh, Joe Lozon would have had some great success against him early, mm-hmm. but it probably wasn't going to submit him. Yep. It's literally only happened once in, like, a 55-fight career, and that was Ben Henderson. Yep. Who has always and still is a better fighter than Joe Lozon. Yep. And uh, and then after that, he's going to do all the things Joe Lozon hates, which is like, you know, kick him in the body and kick him in the head and just hit him at a range where Lozon's little arms aren't effective. Probably mm-hmm. out-wrestle him, too. Yeah. And then just start out-grappling him in turn. So, um, yeah, the problem is, is that Cerrone looks like a shell of himself these days. Yeah. He looked like, uh, you know, that Alex Morono fight. It's just like, it's not that, um, it's not that, I mean, you, I think you go three years back, he probably still has a pretty competitive fight with a guy like Alex Morono, mm-hmm. who's just a cleverer fighter than he appears and very scrappy and powerful. Um, but it's just that like, it was like watching a Tony Ferguson fight these days. Like, yeah, he couldn't get going with anything. Nope. He, it was like he would, you could see him having ideas and then he would step into position and be like off balance and just get hit or he would throw from the wrong range. Um, even as the longer limbed guy, he'd throw from the wrong range and just overcommit and get countered hard. Yeah. And, um, and Morono's corner was like screaming at him not to back up in straight lines, which he still did several times. That's why they were screaming at him about it. Not really any kicks from Cerrone to punish that, which he would have done. I granted it was still in the first round, but even later in the round, he was just a step behind the entire time. Yeah. Groggy, slow. Uh, and like, like kind of like he didn't want to be there, mm-hmm. which granted, I guess we've seen that before and it hasn't always presaged, uh, the end. I mean, that was kind of how he looked against Leon Edwards. Yeah, but it's been, Admittedly, a much it, better fighter. Three than... years now of Donald Cerrone showing up looking a bit like this. Yeah, you're right. Um, so yeah, but I'm I'm still gonna pick him. I think I'm gonna pick Joe Lozon. I'm I'm gonna pick him because I don't see Joe Lozon out wrestling Cerrone. This is and very true. If he can't out wrestle him. He, he can't even get any moments of control or was well, he won't control him anyway. Yeah. Um, but he really just has to strike with him. And I think it, it has to still be true that if he can't finish <laughs> what just, I am, I, I am, I, I am loving the confidence that you are trying to inject into this read <laughs> that if he, if he cannot wrestle him, he has to outstrike him. That incredible. The, 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 just the, the idea. I think you, you were warned to say that if he can't out he, wrestle him, he Cerrone has to still be a better striker than him. He has to be able to work himself into something. Yeah, just because it's Joe Lozon and he's yeah. just more Joe Lozon than ever before, which is to say, very potent, but has been for his entire career a guy who just gasses horribly after the first round. Yeah. 
like that has to be that wasn't going to happen to Morono. Morono was doing better no. and better as the fight went on. There's there's such a an inherent weakness in Joe Lozon's game that Cerrone just bound to get some time to try something. Yeah, uh, and assuming he can actually get his kicks off at range, I think I'm still going to pick him. But I'm it's it's I'm not confident at all. I'm going to take Lozon. I don't know. I, I mean, I shouldn't, but I'm just going to take Lozon. I'm sure. Just, why not? He seems like I say his his version of washed is just so much more. Like I still see the Joe Lozon in there. Yeah, Donald Cerrone. You just don't see him out there anymore. Yeah, I, 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 my, my, my hope is that the what we've seen from Cerrone is just that he literally hasn't been able to get out of the slow starts. Mm-hmm. So, you, I mean, are you picking Joe Lozon to finish him? Yeah. Okay. I'm picking some go. real depressing. Yeah, and I think that's certainly possible. I mean, it's been happening. Um, uh, if he doesn't, I still think that there it, it, that Cerrone. No, I mean, be a Cerrone totally is different man. He's probably still just a slow starter. It's just that he he can't get out of those slow starts these days. Yeah. And if he does, that he'll probably still be something like Cerrone. It's just like both of these guys. Are, I think the argument is that both of them are still themselves. Yeah. Just intensified by age. Yeah, it's just the version of Cerrone that is himself is a version that like there's a good chance that he just doesn't even get to show up the whole fight. And the version of Joe Lozon that's still himself, you know that he, there's going to yeah, be like yeah, yeah. three or four really good minutes in there for him, that is no true. matter what. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pick Joe Lozon for the hell of it. Cerrone opened sense. it. Yeah. Cerrone opened at minus 300. He's currently up at minus 174. Lozon opened at plus 250. He's currently at plus 145. I'm very, very ready to be wrong. Like I said, there's no point in the past decade that I would have picked no. Lozon to beat Donald Cerrone. Not up until... Um, like last year. <laughs> yeah, not up until like the Nico Price fight. Uh-huh. Maybe. That was really the p- first point where you're just like, man, Cerrone just is not... He can't find his way into this fight against Nico Price. He's just getting hurt all the time, and that's it. Yep. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap up the main card. You can find me on Twitter at the same time. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbo.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast, Bloody Elbow Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And uh, as always, the MMA Viv section is brought to you by Chris Reaney and his book, The Fine Art of Fighting, which you can find over at chrisreaney.com, C-H-R-I-S-R-I-N-I.com. Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Postfight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, 
show money, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.